0: Hi, Paul Scanlon here. Thanks for taking the time to click on my podcast. I want to spend time focusing on my primary passions of leadership, personal development, communication, growing big people, and I hope that these podcasts really help and add value to your life and to your journey. Thanks for tuning in.
1: I uh, we've got some questions here that'd be great just to get into. Yes. Uh, the first one being, um, since you stopped, I suppose, pastoring mm. in an official sense in that in terms of the church context. Um, What are some of the challenges or maybe differences that you've faced in in your communication style since then?
0: It's a great question. I think um, when you're speaking to the same people week in, week out in a church context, clearly that governs uh, a lot of the content and to a degree the style of the delivery and also how you measure results, I think, are all defined by that sort of uh, church world. Uh, I think six years ago since I stopped pastoring and now speak in broader settings, I think some of the fundamental differences are the freedom from uh, uh, feeling I have to speak about quotes mm-hmm. church subjects. Right. Uh, one of the great gains from that is I don't any longer think, not that, I, not that I'm aware I ever did strongly, but clearly I did by default think about growing believers or growing Christians and now I think much more growing people Mm. and and human beings. So my content is more generic, I suppose, than it would be in the church world. Um, I don't have to start from a Bible base to speak anymore, Uh which again has been liberating. And I I, I did discover that shift whilst I was still pastoring. Uh, I wish I discovered it sooner because uh, one of the things I... Talk about in my masterclass communication masterclass is the freedom from having to start with uh, a Bible verse when you are mainly speaking as a pastor, which I did for three decades, and the liberation from that to finding inspiration in everything in life as a start point to say something from, and often that means that the start points are much more generic in their connection
1: mm.
0: with the unchurch, which matters in Europe and the UK, where 98 percent of our population, as you know, are unchurched and so starting from a more generic perspective uh, and and basing the idea in something that is just an everyday part of all of our lives, Mm. I can add Scripture to it later. So I've enjoyed that shift and that freedom to start speaking from a more general place as a start point rather than from a verse of Scripture or from a Bible story or a Bible character. I can add those in later for a church audience or not if it's not required for the audience mm. I'm speaking to. So there have been some of the, I think, fundamental shifts uh, that I've enjoyed and noticed since stepping away from just speaking to the church every week.
1: Yeah, out of interest would your advice be to pastors now, maybe that are in the middle of that church context, to take a similar approach?
0: Yeah, I think um, I think it's good communication to, to approach a subject from a more generic perspective rather than always feeling and, and there's an emerging generation of communicators which your age group and many listening represent so it's a good chance for you to break free from the containment which it really became for me mm. and I think it has for my generation of of speakers in the church where we were classically trained to only get something to inspire us from scripture or from Jesus's life or from a Bible character yeah. um, There's nothing wrong with that as being part of what we do. But I think when it becomes exclusive to our style, it becomes very samey and very predictable. So I would say to emerging communicators um, in the church to step away as soon as you can from feeling obligated by some obligation you don't really have that we put on you guys, that religion put on us often,
1: Mm.
0: that old-school maybe thinking put on us, that we have to start from a Bible basis to say a thing well. And I would say as soon as you can to step away from that and just just live with your head on swivel, live with this radar attuned to humanity, to life, to people, to society, to things that you are experiencing in everyday life um, that you bypass and leave aside as a point of inspiration. um, And then go and throw all that out Ignore all of that's happening in your life right now and then go and try and get a word, as we call it mm. in the church, a word from God, which makes it even more intense to hijack what we do with that language of getting a word from God, like we're Moses or something, getting a word for the people. I think it falsely, artificially hikes it and ramps it up to a place that doesn't make communication natural and comfortable. And easy and organic, which is what it should be. Mm. So, I think my appeal to emerging communicators in the church world anyway yeah, is to make that shift earlier than I did, you know, sort of two and a half decades in, probably I sure. made the shift I'm talking about
1: now. Yeah. So, let's say, um, you know, someone masters that and they get a good grip on that. Um, one of the things you've said in communication masterclass is that connection is the holy grail of communication. Yeah. I guess if that's a first step, potentially, and this is a next step, how how would you uh, explain to someone to achieve, or help someone achieve that connection?
0: I think connection gets better if we start from, if we start with what we're saying with our topics, subjects, messages, if we start from a perspective of something more generic to life, like parenting, or friendship, or handling money, or aging well, and health, or something in the political world, or something in social media, or a book that we've read, um, I I think all of those become inputs for how to frame a thing, how to say a thing well. This has got to make connection much more uh, possible um, with a mixed audience. And again, this matters to me a lot more now, maybe than it did in the church world, though again doing church in the United Kingdom where people do not go to church, was always something on my mind that I had to have something generic enough mm. that connected with unchurched people that our church people were bringing. I think you can only enhance connection to start with a more generic sure. place of speaking on a subject from something that's not as in-housey and not as narrow um, as a, a church mentality or just speaking to churchgoers. And I think uh, stepping away from that Uh, to picking things Mm. up that is more common to everyone's experience Mm. in life uh, has got to be better for connection. From the moment we open our mouths, if we're now connecting through something that everybody experiences in everyday life, uh, it's got to enhance this connection. Because I do believe connection is the Holy Grail. But connection is intentional. Connection is not Mm. by accident or default. It has to be intentional. And from the moment you open your mouth, or the moment you walk to the place from which you're speaking, if your style of communication is public speaking, some people are communicating and their voice is not through public speaking. It's through social media or through art or through some other expression. But my point is, however you are expressing your voice, uh, it's got to be better for connection purposes if you are starting from something that is more common to all of us in the way that you're framing your subject.
1: Fantastic. Great. Uh, Really useful stuff, especially looking back, I suppose, at a bit of your um, journey through the church context and to what you're doing now. Um, One of the things out of interest that I thought would be good to look at is um, you've talked a lot about growing people and not things. Mm. At what point in your journey did you come to that, that understanding of? of growing people and not things. and
0: I think in the reinvention of our organization, our local church, whatever your organization is, all of them need reinvention at some point. Ours went through a drastic one in the late 90s and half of my uh, organization, in our case church congregation, left. Mm. Um, and we grew them back with people that were from the poorest parts of our city who came with no, growth ethic, I suppose, many of them couldn't read or write, many of them were third-generation unemployed people and so on and so on. So the nature of the uh, people I was speaking to changed. I didn't think I could just do business as usual with this new constituency uh, that we were reaching. So I think uh, the arrival of these people, hundreds of them, every week, caused me to reinvent my communication style in terms of content and... Uh, How I said a thing how long I spoke for uh, How I measured results and so on and I realized then that the people that could help us uh, Grow things had gone and the people that we'd replaced them with had not come to help us grow anything In fact, they were coming because we were helping them uh, in many of their poverty related issues and problems they were having we were helping them and they were coming for that reason and I think their gift to me, looking back, was that they, they, they made me have to rethink my communication style. It was then, I think, I made the shift from uh, using people to grow things, or growing things, or measuring results by things, right. to investing in more intentionally in growing these people. It's then I made the shift as well, I think, in the late 90s, from talking about things from a Bible perspective to approaching things from, as we talked about earlier, from just a more humanity uh, perspective. And I think it gave me this greater sense of empathy and connection with these people. Um, And it changed my communication style, I think, for the better. I think I became better as a communicator through the gift of those people that came, that were ground zero level people, as it were, to um, realize I've got to grow these people. And I settled down there for the next decade or so to see whether or not I could turn these ground zero people uh, through growing them into what I call big people. Mm. That they became big people internally out of which big things became possible to do. So I still don't know. And people would ask me in the country, uh, how, how has your church grown? As if I had some things to teach them about how to get a big church. And I don't know how to grow a big church still to this day because I didn't try to grow a thing called a big church. I set out to grow people and figured Mm -hmm. out if we can grow people, then the things that they're capable of should get bigger pro rata. It was that that made me shift from growing things to growing people. I had no option but to grow people.
1: Right, right. And obviously that was, I suppose at that moment in time, it was an emphasis based on the circumstance you're in and and what what I suppose the church was uh, asking from you. Your emphasis at the moment is is a little bit more on, maybe it's not different, but on servant leadership. How's this emphasis kind of affected your communication style to date? I think I stumbled into servant leadership without having that language in the
0: era I'm speaking about. That mm-hmm. I decided that I had to spend more times in the sh- more time in the shoes of the people that we were speaking to than in my or our shoes as the speakers to those people. Right. Uh, I didn't call it back then servant leadership. I realized it was that very much that the people were leading rather than me the people were leading in my mind and in my heart they were leading both what we spoke about and how we spoke about it and so i became a servant i suppose of the needs and the lifestyles and the problems uh, and the dead ends that these people's lives really were shouting out to us that they were struggling with you know many years later where we are now i call that what it was becoming now i've figured out much more that what that major shift was wasn't just a communication shift it was a shift in where i lead and speak from to from being leadership that was much more governed by my agenda hmm. and what i wanted to get out of the people and what i wanted to what i wanted to have them help me do. So I saw them as a resource to help me lead to my vision. They were servants to my vision and servants to my agenda and servants to my ideas. Um, They were voluntary in terms of their their commitment of Mm hours. They were serving that way. They're financial servants in terms of resourcing Mm -hmm. my dream and vision. I think the shift took place back then because they, these people had no money, hmm. so that that part of them serving had gone. Uh, they weren't volunteering, they weren't showing up beyond we begging them in on buses, so that part of their serving had gone. I think all that got stripped away and it got turned on its head, out of which I think uh, evolved this um, realization that we are here to serve these people, and I don't know what the outcome of that will be whether we'll ever get the church back that we had, or will we get something back better, which I think we did. Yeah. So servant leadership, this current emphasis I have, is now articulating what I think happened 15 or so years ago. Right. Now I have a language for it, and I've been leading that way now for 15 years. I realize looking back, and I just think it's become time for me to give a language to that.
1: Sure. So looking at, I guess looking at um, leadership across the spectrum, um, and a lot of the things that we're facing, um, in our world today with fake news and, and leadership and politics that we're seeing that, that obviously there's a bit of an uprising against. Um, there's obviously a desperate need for leaders to serve people and uh, for authenticity in leadership. Um, how big of an, I suppose, impact do you think authenticity has in leadership in terms of serving people in that same way? I've always thought authenticity
0: uh, is to do with Being yourself, speaking to the people from your own current reality and speaking your own truth about that reality. Um, and, And a lot of people have many layers between them and that self that we all have. Your essential self, I call it. And I think authenticity to me is stripping away the layers between you and the people and getting down to the real version of you rather than sending out representatives between me and you. Mm. We all have representatives, the super confident version of us that's not really who we are. The all thought through, planned, scripted version of us um, which is not really who we are. Um, the idealist, which is often not really who we are. Uh, the black and white, us, which is not really true to life anyway, but we stay away from grey because grey is too complex mm. to mess with. I think all of those shades of who we are are, are really um, the enemy of authenticity. And I think anything that stops you being you uh, is like kryptonite to your superman. And I think it's that that I'm appealing for and that that I've discovered in this last 15 years or so is that that this connection that we've talked about, which is the holy grail of communication, is impossible without authenticity. Right. Authenticity uh, is being as real as you can with the people without your reality being a stumbling block or unhelpful and reality requires timing and I don't want to let it, we're not talking about Jerry Springer or, or Jeremy Kyle. Mm. We don't mean that version of you. We mean we mean the management of that enough to be helpful in what I talk about and when I talk about sure. it to figure a few things out first but still to be doing that by being as real as I can with my audience. I think that version of authenticity is what I'm appealing for. And speaking from the heart, I speak about in the masterclass about speaking from the heart. You can't do that unless you're authentic. You just can't do that. You can speak from from your head, you can speak from policy, you can speak from script, you can speak from tradition um, and safety of this is what we say at this time And a question like that. But you'll never have a connection with people when you're doing that because that is not authenticity. And speaking from the heart is dangerous and difficult. I know that. Who does that? Politicians don't till they've retired. Sure. Uh, and one of the reasons Donald Trump has done so well in America is because at least for all his faults, at least you don't have to wonder what Donald Trump really thinks about something. Sure. He speaks his mind and people appreciate that.
1: Yeah. I guess when you're in a leadership position there's, there's a stigma or an expectation for a leader to say a certain thing and to say it a certain way. Yeah. And really I suppose there's a requirement still for leaders to be authentic. Uh, is there a starting point for that of a leader understanding, okay, let me find my authenticity and start communicating that to people?
0: I think it's a commitment I made uh, in the late 90s to really be myself. I think part of that reinvention of our organisation was the reinvention and rediscovery of me too. Mm. And part of that rediscovery was coming back to the essence of who I am as a person. And is that the person I am projecting to the people? And I realized it wasn't. And tradition and religion and control, I think, had put layers on me that were my layers between the real me um, and connection with the people. And I had to get those layers off me to get back to the real version of me. So it starts maybe with the crisis, it starts with the realisation that this is not working, that I am a karaoke version of someone else, that I am a representative of other versions of me, but I'm not the real me. I am buried under these layers of pretense and facades that I find safety in. Maybe it requires a crisis to figure that out. Maybe that is what everybody needs their own version of, that they feel fed up with uh, I can't do that anymore, I'm sure. going to be me, warts and all, if necessary, mm. and it's not an exact science, and it's not without mess, and it's not without error, it's not without extremes, it's not without um, wishing I'd said that better and done that better, it's not without wearing your heart on your sleeve in times you wish you hadn't, sure. but I'd rather that than this, than this drive to keep myself looking altogether and saying the right thing at the right time in the right way. Uh, So yeah, I think it needs people to go through something that jars them out of that, and gives them a desire to be authentic in a way maybe they haven't had before.
1: Yeah, and I guess there's obviously longevity and shelf life when you're being yourself.
0: Yeah, because you're not figuring out who you're gonna be today. I mean, that's gonna be exhausting. There's, There's enough plates to spin at any moment of communication um, yeah. There are enough complexities in saying a thing well without one of them being, "Who am I going to be today?"
1: So, I suppose across our generation, there's a there's probably been a rise over the last fifteen years of different communication platforms, mm. particularly social media for young people. Um, what advice would you give young people whether that's 14 to 25 or the millennial kind of generation in terms of how to really use that platform those platforms well for communication
0: I think using it well would be my appeal to anyone that has any kind of voice or platform through social media Um, and of course a lot of kids are not using it for that reason it's just to connect with their mates and so on but I think it is a great opportunity, it is a great platform and as we both know there are many people who have a large voice from their social media platform who um, are maybe not using it well. Hmm. Uh, And so I think my appeal to people that uh, have a social media presence and profile and voice is to use it to add value to us, to use it to say something well to be responsible with the use of it. Um, I know that is subject to everyone's definition of what those words I'm using mean, so I'm not here to tell people that's right or that's wrong because uh, my why is different to yours and different to theirs. But I think a lot of people uh, stumble into social media influence and have not figured out what they wanted to do about it, if anything, you know, things can trend overnight that gives someone a platform that they didn't seek and have have no voice thought through about. Mm. Uh, that can be an affliction more than it can be a blessing, I would think, for people that are in that situation. Um, but I think uh, I think for the millennial generation that are social media friendly and are intentional, therefore, about their use of social media. I think use it well, uh, and it doesn't mean you can't be playful or, you know, or, or, or reflect that side of your personality because that can be a good platform too right. if that's a big part of what you want to put over. Um, but I think I think if you want to have a voice, if you want to have um, a say into something, then I think it's it's beholden on us, the are using social media, to do that to try and be intentional and thoughtful about about how we do that, about how we say that, and are we saying that well. And I don't think that's governed at all by likes, or by comments, or by how many followers we have at all. Uh, There can be no rhyme or reason to what gets, and I figured this out with my postings, what gets uh, a seemingly uh, larger number of likes than not. I'm not really sure that any of us figure that out, or that it matters. I think what matters, therefore, the same with public speaking for me, mm. that I, I can have a standing ovation to the same message I do somewhere else where they all look bored. Right. But I'm the same person with the same message in both settings. And I think social media, I've decided, must be subject to the same judgment that I give to crowds, that whether it's a standing ovation or looking bored, either are no real defining of the quality of either what I have to say Mm. or how I said it. And I think, therefore, using social media well means I'm not playing to the audience for the sake of getting more followers or more likes. uh, Or I'm projecting an image uh, that is not the reality of who I am Mm. or who you are or who the world is uh, in their day-to-day lives. I think all of that is not using social media responsibly. So I think saying a thing well is sticking to your guns, saying a thing well, not dancing to the tune of social media trends and likes and followers, but just being faithful to, here's what I want to put out and say. Whether it's controversial, if it costs you followers, if it costs you being trolled, then as long as it is your authentic voice that you want to say something, then great. That's, I think, the best use of social media. I think Mm -hmm. it takes courage sometimes to stick your neck out Sure, uh, but if that's part of if that's part of your voice, then you're using
1: it well. Yeah, and then I well suppose whether it's social media or if it's to crowds or whatever setting it is that you're communicating, um, how important is how you say something, I suppose, stacked up against what you say?
0: I think how you say a thing really <coughs> matters, and, and you know we could talk here about a range of things that all communicators need to master. Uh, to do with structure and timing um, all of which enhance or don't enhance connection Mm. Um, and there is no perfect science about structure but you need to have one Um, and uh, structure primarily needs to be in your head rather than in your notes or in your media presentation Um, and so for me structure can be varied in how you structure something well that means that how we are saying it has been thought through as much as what we are saying has been mm. thought through. So classically we would want to have a good uh, beginning, a good middle and a clear ending. And all those three things hopefully will dovetail together and create one continuous narrative.
1: Sure.
0: Uh, that's not always true. Uh, therefore the basic of structure is often missing in many presentations, whether it be written, or whether it be spoken, or whether it be sung, or whether it be in a performance piece. I hate it when you're trying to figure out, what the heck was that about? Mm. And I think great communicators have harnessed their tendency to be unstructured, and their tendency to be over-spontaneous or random. Mm. You have to pull that in because I might understand my randomness because I know me and if you're my friend, you allow for that because you're my mate and it doesn't really matter. But if I want to say something well,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and my randomness or my ad hoc or my spontaneous diversions uh, are not managed well, I lose the crowd and I become unaware because it's just who I am. And we talk about authenticity means who you are. Who you are doesn't mean the bits of you that you should work on and get better at. If those parts of your personality um, are a hindrance to say anything well, you have to to work on those. We all have those things to work on, whether you speak too fast or you speak too slow, or you have a very strong regional accent that Mm. no one outside of your town or even your postcode (laughs) can understand then you have to work on those things if you want to be understood widely. So I think um, all of those things matter in how we say a thing. Uh, The science of how is separate to the science of um, why we say a thing. And each of those how and why um, and when and what, all of those things should be dovetailing together. So I think It really matters to have that structure clear in your head and then everything you do with notes or media or props or interaction with people, all of that should be serving and enhancing like icing on the cake, what you came to say in the first place.
1: Sure, so if all those things really serve and lead towards, I suppose, really plain service to the ultimate win in communication, would you have one thing that you would say, you know, this for me is a win. If I communicate and this happens, I can go home and go, great, I won. That worked. Well, there's, there's
0: a win for me and there's a win for you as a listener. My win for me, um, uh, subjectively, would be, did I say that well in the time that I was given? Did I say it well? Now, my measuring of that is different to the next person's. My measuring of did I say it well in a church context, for instance, wouldn't be how much they're shouting and clapping because that often can be learned behavior and not mean anything's going in. Mm. Um, So that is not how I'm measuring, did I say it well? Uh, In a church context, I'm not settled for that as a a thumbs up that they get it. For me, because my vibe and my um, measuring of saying a thing well is much more to do with learning than inspiration. I'm not bothered about a big inspirational response in the room of clapping and cheering and shouting. Um, I'm much more interested in listening, learning, leaning in and that kind of vibe again lets me know, I think we really did okay today because there was a listening, there was a leaning in there was a note taking, there was an interest. So the, 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 the listeners were not neutral, they were not incidental. There was a sense of engagement and connection.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All of that, to me, equates to a win. A win for you or me as a listener. For me as a listener, a win is, uh, I really learned something today. A light came on, mm-hmm. an idea dawned on me. A massive win for me as a listener is when is when what you're saying to me um, enhances the quality of my own internal dialogue that I'm having with me sure about what you're saying to me wow. if what you're saying to me makes me internally thoughtful enough to really learn from what you said to me that's where I walk away and your gift to me is not what you said your gift to me is the train of thought that you put me on because of what you said, which you don't know about. Mm. And often that's not the feedback we get, which is what we most want as communicators. When people say, what you said to me made me realize this, made me rethink completely my approach to that. That's the feedback we love. but It's that that we rarely get. We normally get that was great, sure. which is kind of fine. but. It's not as satisfying as the thought through response back. So yeah. all of those things are wins to me. Wow,
1: wow. super helpful. I guess really everything we've, we've covered and talked about is stuff that's deeply ingrained in your communication masterclass yes. um, that you do now around the globe right. that is helping tons and tons of people um, not just become greater communicators but become bigger and better people as well.
0: Yeah, and I never had that help, which is part of why I started that six years ago. I never had the help, especially coming from a church background, And so part of me doing the masterclass, uh, after I saw the film The King's Speech, by the way, and I was so inspired by how the king got helped by this sort of unusual, uh, out-of-the-box approach to helping him, I saw in that picture a metaphor for for a big part of what I should do next after I stopped pastoring, Mm. that I wanted to become, I suppose, a mentor and a coach to other communicators, which I never really had. I had to first, therefore, sit down and figure out Uh, what I do and why I do what I do, because when you find something easy to do, it's difficult to explain why you do it and how you do it, because to you it's like second nature. Mm. So to be able to analyze why I find it easy and why I find it effortless became uh, my work for those following years and I'm still working on it. Every masterclass has a freshness to it for me because between each masterclass, whether it's noticed or not, it's just loads of things I'm changing and tweaking that accumulatively make each masterclass better than the last one. So I'm very excited about all these masterclasses coming up around the world.
1: Yeah, great. Well, we're thankful for you doing them. They've been a huge help to some of those young guys coming through. Yeah, appreciate Uh, it. So we appreciate you keep putting them on and keep refreshing them and keep going at them from different angles. Yeah, great. Thanks very much.
0: Well, thanks again for listening to today's podcast. I hope you found it beneficial. And uh, I know time is precious commodity for us all, but I would love it if you would take the time to Write a review or comment, and above all, maybe subscribe to my podcast channel. Thank you.